Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Hello, hello, hello. So, I got some fun news. I finally caved and uh, bought a Nintendo Switch. Yeah, I've been, been waiting for a long time. I caved because there was two games that came out on it that I really wanted. And I didn't feel like waiting to see if they would get a PC release because one of them I don't think they will and the other one uh, maybe. And that was uh, CTR Nitro Fueled and Cadence of Hyrule. Now, Nitro Fueled hopefully they poured over to PC at some point because they have the Insane Trilogy. And I will hope they do it for the Reignited Trilogy for Spyro also. Uh, so yeah. I could have bought an Xbox One or something to get Reignite Trilogy as well as CTR. I didn't, though, because the one thing I'll give the Switch is that portability. Like, I had a lot of fun the other day. I was heading out to Long Island with some friends, and I was waiting to get picked up, so I'm playing the Switch on my TV, and I get a text like, yo, we're pulling up. I'm like, cool. I just pulled the Switch out of the dock and walked out the door playing still. So I do like that. I... That... Made me more interested in the Switch than other consoles. Just that portability alone. But uh, what I really want to focus on is trying my hand at doing some review stuff. I kind of did it in the past, and I think it went well. So I want to do that again for Cadence of Hyrule. And the reason I want to focus on Cadence of Hyrule is because it's a very unique game. Crypt of the Necrodancer is amazing. Hands down, it is an amazing game game combining the roguelike dungeon crawling with rhythm was alone on its own was a really cool idea and then the music was just mwah. the music was just great in it and i mean it had to be but still like it really sticks out as some of the greatest music i've ever heard in the game and then the other half of it legend of zelda has been around for forever you know it's one of nintendo's oldest ips and it has a lot of history, and it has a lot of fans for good reason. So you put the two of them together, and odds are we're going to get something good out of it. So I, I really want to break down my initial thoughts of the game. So going into it, what I will talk about, I have simply done a single playthrough. Alright, I booed the game up, I beat the final boss. Okay, that's that. I didn't collect everything right away. I want to go back to the save file and go through and actually do that. Yes, but I'm just saying, as it is, just a standard playthrough, not 100% completed, being the final boss, and that's that. All right? That is where I'm coming from with my opinion. Now, let's just look at just how the game has done overall. I pulled a pretty cool article from Nintendo Life, and they did a quick drop saying that Cadence of Hyrule Crypt of the Necrodancer is loved in Japan. And the last past week, from June 13th to the 19th, it was the top downloaded game on the Switch. So it was number one. You know, they gave a list of the top 10 video games. It's right there at the top. People in Japan are loving it. And I get an idea of why. Like, there's some popularity behind this. Considering like, the IP is there, yes, it is Legend of Zelda. However, Nintendo didn't really do anything with this game. It was Brace Yourself Games. The guys that made Crypt of the Necrodancer had control over this. So the fact that you have this indie developer making this game, the IP is going to sell it to a bit 
yes, but the word still needs to spread that it's a good game. And that is happening. The word is spreading. People are talking about it. There's posts on Reddit asking about it, things like that. So this is a good sign. It's an amazing sign that Brace Yourself Game has shown they can make games. And not only is this good for Nintendo in terms of like them actually branching out and looking at more ways to develop their IPs, it's just a good sign for indie developers overall that there's trust in them. People are trusting these indie developers. It's awesome. I think it's also pretty cool that it is, if you want to, co-op enabled, just like Crypto the Necro Dancer. So they brought they brought in a lot. You, there's a lot of Crypto the Necro Dancer here, definitely, and it works to its advantage at times. All right. So obviously, I'm going full on review about my first playthrough so far. So obviously, spoilers are going to be there for the game. So if you're looking to be surprised and stuff like that. Don't, you know, don't listen. I'm not going to be offended. Just move on, do something else with your time because I want to be breaking down a lot of here. So let's start with the gameplay. All right, I think that's a good a good starting point. And if you know Crypt of the Necro Dancer, you know the gameplay of Cadence of Hyrule for the most part. It still sticks to rhythm-based moving. And combat where the enemies move based on the beat and you learn their pattern in tune with the beat to fight them. And like Crypt of the Necrodancer, there are various types of weapons you can get and they all have different properties. So there's a standard dagger slash sword that hits the enemy right in front of you. But there's also the broadsword that attacks the three adjacent enemies in front of you. So like, let's say you're facing up the tile directly in front of you. The tile directly to your upper left and upper right will get hit. There's the flail, which has this really weird, like, arc, wide range. I never really liked using the flail on the, the flail on the broadsword because sometimes I actually want to move to the side. But since there's an enemy there, I hit it. Uh, there's the spear, which, boom, you have a range of two and you poke it. And then there's a couple other things thrown in there. So you're moving around. You poke the enemies to deal damage to them. If they hit you when they're supposed to move, you take damage. Like I said, standard Crypt of the Necro Dancer stuff there. However, since it is supposed to be... In Hyrule, it's not a Legend of Zelda-inspired Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's actually Crypt of the Necrodancer in Hyrule with a Legend of Zelda story. So what they did is instead of you just going through randomly created dungeons like a roguelike, instead, it's a Legend of Zelda game where you're actually moving around Hyrule on an overmap and then going into dungeons. So if you ever played... A very old classic Legend of Zelda game like on the Game Boy, the NES, the Super NES. When I booted this game up, I immediately thought of Link's Awakening. Because that was the first Legend of Zelda game I played. I played it on the Game Boy. I love it. I think it's a... I really enjoyed it. I never beat it as a kid, but I got pretty far and I enjoyed my time playing it. I have to say, it's probably my all-time favorite Legend of Zelda game. Being the first one I played and just the way it's set up, the way it looks, the way it feels, I really enjoy it. So if you've played that game, Link's Awakening, or you've played any other classic Legend of Zelda games, where it's kind of like the the box-type map, where the screen is one section of the map, and then when you reach like the edge of the screen, it moves to the next section of the map, that's how the overworld is set up. So you move from all these various locations, and they you can, when you find it, you can unlock a fast travel option. So you can just travel through these Sheikah stones that you've touched so you can fast travel around the map, which is really, it's nice because it's a big map. 
Now, you may be wondering, how do you have this moving with the beat rhythm game work with an overworld map? So they made a modification to how everything works, and I think it works well. So originally, in Crypt of the Necrodancer, every floor of a dungeon had a song playing that you had to move to the beat. Even if all the enemies were killed, you still have to move with the beat, and if the song ends before you reach the staircase, you just get kicked to the next floor. Standard stuff. This game, however, they modified it. You only have to move to the beat when there are enemies in the area. So when you move to an area that has enemies, let's say you're on a section of the map, and you move to another section, and there's enemies in that next section. What will happen is the music will actually kick it up a bit, like the tune will change, and they'll get a little more like, I wouldn't say it's like more like rock, but the, the tune changes. You, you can tell that the music changes when an enemy appears, it's more tense. And at the bottom, you see the beat bar appear to move with the beat. So now, boom, you're in Crypt of the Necro Dance. Essentially, you're moving to the beat, you're fighting enemies along with the beat, they're moving along with the beat, etc., etc., etc. Now, when you kill all enemies present on that section of the map, the song continues, but the tone changes. It's more calmer, smoother, easygoing, and the beat bar goes away, and you're now able to freely move. You no longer have to worry about your multiplier moving with the beat. You're no longer limited, nothing like that. You can just move around the section of the map freely. So every time you clear an area, you can just – there are, like, mini puzzles, like sliding some blocks to make platforms to get up to another location, stuff like that. Like, small stuff, but it's there. It's nice. So that's how moving around the map works. And I like it. I think it works very well because if I had to move with the beat the entire time in the overworld, it would get tiring because I'd have to wait to move. I mean, yeah, I move with the beat, and I'm not, like, waiting – a long time, it's only like a second or two, it's still, it could get tedious having to move with the beat at all times. So I like how they made that modification in the overworld. And what makes it interesting is some of the bigger locations, like Lake Hyrule, Lake Hylia, sorry, uh, Death Mountain, Gerudo Desert, stuff like that, it's not just a single section on a map, it instead takes up multiple sections, like, like I think it's about like four map sections, is those locations, like Death Mountain and them. So instead of you clearing out one section of the map and then sliding to the next, you're moving on this big chunk. And if you want to move within that big chunk freely, you have to clear out all these enemies. And there's a lot. Like, they're big areas. Especially Death Mountain has all these chasms and hops you have to do. And I think I actually cheesed Death Mountain. I'll get to that in a minute when we talk about equipment. It can be challenging to try and take out all those enemies. So when I reached those locations, I wasn't worried about killing all the enemies to freely move, and I wasn't really worried about my multiplier. I was worried about just getting to the entrance of the dungeon as easily as possible. So, I mean, you have the option if you wanted to clear all the enemies to get the free movement, but eh, I didn't think it was actually necessary. So that's how the general overworld works. So what about the dungeons? Because this is a Legend of Zelda game, dungeons matter. And one of the reasons why I don't like Breath of the Wild is I feel there's really no dungeons in it. There are the shrines, yes, and there are the divine beasts if you decide to do them. But the shrines are just pathetic for the most part. Most of them are just very basic. They don't require much, and they're very short. And the divine beasts are close to being dungeon-like, but they fall a little short in my opinion because you're not, like, walking through this entire dungeon getting a special item from a mini-boss and killing these enemies and unlocking these doors. Like, they're puzzle-based, which is cool. So, Cadence of Hyrule, how does it handle dungeons? Because I feel we haven't had a Legend of Zelda game that has good dungeons in a while because of Breath of the Wilds. 
I don't think Cadence of Hyrule lives up to Legend of Zelda dungeon standards. There are five main dungeons. Four spread throughout the world, and then Hyrule Castle. Now, the dungeons, getting into them, they have some unique feature to get into them, which works. There is a swamp dungeon that, to get to it, you have to navigate the Lost Woods. However, since everything's all about the music, you actually have to find a different item that will turn on this rumble control that shows you which direction to go. So that was pretty cool, getting to the swamp dungeon. Then there's Death Mountain with the a Temple of Storm, which was... I actually, I really enjoyed the boss of that one. There is the Grudo Mines at Grudo Desert. So it's really weird. Death Mountain has a storm-based dungeon in it, and the Gerudo Desert has the mines. And when you enter the mines, there's lava everywhere. So it's really weird that the fiery lava-based dungeon was in the desert and not at Death Mountain. I feel like there should be a switch there. Just normally, like, usually Death Mountain has the fire-based dungeon. So I found that design choice really weird. And then there was a frozen grotto, which is the lake-type, you know, the water-type dungeon at Lake Hylia. So here are your four dungeons, and then Hyrule Castle. Now, with the four main dungeons, you have to clear them first. You enter the dungeon, and you're immediately met with the door to the boss room. Okay, that's that's fine. Like, that makes sense. It's It works out everything. And the door is obviously like, I have to go find the boss key. Okay? Now, because the main entrance of the dungeon has no enemies you're able to move freely like there's no moving with the beat or anything you can freely look around and again it works because if there is a puzzle for you to solve or there's something you have to investigate not having to worry about the beat is really nice so now let's get into actually moving about the dungeon you enter the dungeon you kind of like see how the map looks you look at the door to the boss room you're like okay there's you know, one staircase I can go down there's this staircase over here I can't access yet all right let me go down this staircase that I can access so, boom, you go into the first room. And instead of it being a normal room, this is where Crypt of the Necrodancer takes over. You go down a staircase, and now, instead of just a room you have to clear of monsters, if you ever played Crypt of the Necrodancer, it's like a floor in Crypt of the Necrodancer. It's like, you know, the first floor of Zone 1, the third floor of Zone 3, whatever. It's a standard Crypt of the Necrodancer map where you're exploring the area, trying to fill in the air, you know, the, the map at the bottom so you know what's what. The shop is there for you to go buy things, which they do this weird change of currency. Again, Get I'll get to it. There's the whole torch system is back. There's the using the shovel is back. Like, let, you know, Link and Zelda can use the shovel to clear out certain walls. So it's all Necrodancer. It's, it's all there. Instead of, though, you looking for, like, the mini boss of the floor to kill and open up the staircase, they instead do, uh, like, challenge, not challenges, but, like, battle rooms. So you'll be moving around, and there could be some enemies dot around that you have to take care of. Cool. But then there's usually, it wasn't everywhere, but for the most of them, there were two rooms. One was locked behind a locked door, so you had to get a small key to open, which you can occasionally buy from the shop if you want to shortcut, or you have to do a different battle room. Now, you know it's a battle room because as you approach it, there's a door, one door leading in, and you can't destroy the walls around it. So you have to enter through the doorway, and when you do, you step on this little, you know, like, evil monster face. That when you step on it, it turns red, the door locks, and all these enemies appear. So you clear out all those enemies, 
And then you get a chest with a small key. You take the key, unlock the locked door. And when you enter that one, then there's like a mini boss style thing. So I fought like there was a shadow link I did at the swamp. I also fought a shadow Zelda, which was pretty cool. And then there were the two other dungeons had like beefier enemies. I'm not sure who they were because I couldn't tell by the sprites. And since I didn't die to them, it didn't show me the name. But it was the one enemy had like a big axe and it would attack the two blocks in front of him. He had a lot of health. And then there was a little boss I fought that it was actually these two knights that would swing a flail as an AOE. So every tile next time they would hit. And they were actually linked together, which really didn't do much in the end in terms of, like, mechanics. But still, you fight, like, a mini-boss kind of thing. They die and open up the staircase to continue. Now, from here, one of two things would happen. It would either bring you back to that main entrance room where the boss door was, and you would open a chest, and this happened in some of the dungeons. You could open a chest, and you could pick one of three items. So the first chest I opened up, I got a choice between the war drum, the great bow, or the hook shot. So instead of a standard Legend of Zelda where you get a dungeon-specific item that helps with the boss, you just get a choice of one of three items. That first choice, I goofed up, and I accidentally hit up next to the war drum, and I picked up the war drum. Now, the war drum operates like it did in Crypt of the Necrodancer. You can hit the button while the beat's going to skip your movement for that beat and not lose your multiplier and instead gain power. I never used it. I hated it. So I was like, well, shit. My first dungeon item was useless. I would have heard the Great Bow because the Great Bow is awesome. So you have this happen, and then you hit a switch, and it opens up, like, if there was a wall blocking in the next staircase, that goes away. Like, it, it changes the dungeon in some way that you can access the next part. Now you go down that staircase, and boom, you go to, like, another floor. Like, another Crypt of the Necrodancer-style floor. Same thing. Get to the challenge room. Kill the things. Get the key. Open up the locked door. Kill the thing. Staircase. Boom. Go. Now, at this point, again, this wasn't all the dungeons. Like, I know Hyrule Castle had something a little different, and I believe the Gerudo Mines had, like, one other, like, had another different thing, okay? When you clear the second level, the second room, and you go through that staircase, it would then bring you to a different kind of room. So instead of going back to, like, the main area of the dungeon or going to, like, another crypt of Necrodancer-style floor, you're instead treated to this small room that either has a puzzle-type thing, like the Gerudo Mines. What I had to do is there are these mini dragons that when you hit, they turn to stone instead of dying, and I actually had to then push them into the lava because they would then die and turn the lava into coals that you could walk on. So I had to kill one of them and move them into place to create a bridge from me to the boss key. And then I could get then get out and I could open the door to the boss room. There was the swamp was just I fought a couple enemies as I moved up to the top of the room to get the boss key. So essentially you get through that second level, like a Crypt of the Necrodancer level, and then you introduce to a more of a standard room with something you have to do. You get the boss key. You open the door, and boom, you fight the boss. Now the bosses, bosses are all right. They're pretty cool. They're all some sort of Legend of Zelda-inspired boss that's actually a pun with an instrument. So when I went through the swamp, which was the first dungeon I did, I had to fight Gomaracas. So it's Goma from, you know, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time and a couple of Legend of Zelda games. It was Goma, but maracas style so the like 
the arms that Goma has were actually maracas. And I gotta say, it was the coolest of the four dungeon bosses I fought. Goma just stuck to the top of the screen, and like the Goma fight from other Legends of Games, she would actually shoot eggs at you, and you could destroy the eggs, or you could leave them, and they would hatch little, like, Goma babies, and then she would occasionally fire a beam along the, the room that you'd have to dodge. And the only way to hurt her was to go up to her and poke her in the eye. Uh, with that, there were these two little things in the corner that would slowly just grow vines. Now, the vines didn't hurt you, but they would block, like, block a tiles for you so you wouldn't be able to move there so uh, immediately i went and i killed those two things i killed those two little things at the bottom so i had freedom of movement now the reason why i was pissed off that i didn't pick up the great bow i already had the standard bow but the great bow pierces so in crypt of the necrodancer you could get a crossbow or bow or a rifle as a ranged weapon option that you would shoot with the beat but in Cadence of Hyrule, the bow is actually an item you equip like you do in Legend of Zelda. So you have your melee option, but then you can hit the button on the beat to use the bow and then release it on the beat to shoot the arrow. And normally the bow just hits the enemy, the first enemy in front of you. The great bow pierces through it. So it would have been great to have the great bow so I could just clear out an entire line of Goma babies or Goma eggs or clear out some Goma eggs and then hit Goma's eye. So it sucked that it had the great bow for that fight, but still... It worked out. Everything worked out. I was able to kill Goma, and I had a lot of fun with it. I think it was the, the best of the four main, the four dungeon bosses. The other three, I don't know where they came from. Like I'm pretty sure they're inspired by other Legend of Zelda games. But again, since I haven't played many Legend of Zelda games, I'm not sure where their inspiration came from. The one that I had a lot of trouble with was the Temple of Storms boss. Was a xylophone type enemy, but it was a Hydra, so he had four heads. And the heads would just shoot bouncing fireballs at you that would go diagonally. But the issue is the heads would kind of like move around the bead. So you'd ha I had to get in to hit a head, but in moving in to hit that head, the other head might have moved in and contact damage and hit me. So it was really hard because you had to destroy the head. But when you destroyed the head, the head would then break off and float around bouncing around the room. So it's like, okay, do I destroy the head I just killed or do I keep attacking the boss? Because eventually, every so often, the xylophone would start playing and the Hydra would let out this shock attack with lightning that would cover about half the room because it would be it would shoot down from the heads, but there was also two puddles of water on either side. And if a head was floating over a pile of water, of course that puddle of water would get shocked. So you had to find a row of dry land that wasn't getting hit. And once you destroyed all the heads, then the actual thing came up, the body started moving and it would hop after you. And again, it would occasionally ring, like start playing and then let out a shock AoE. So you'd have to not hit it when that's happening. And then move it and tap it and then get away so it wouldn't bounce into you and do your contact damage while the heads are still bouncing around if you haven't destroyed them yet. So there was a lot going on with that boss. It was a cool boss. I still preferred Goma over it in terms of just like what was going on. Like I think I feel like Goma there were multiple parts, but all the parts were well defined. That boss, it was just the heads are bouncing around, the body like there's just stuff. Like there's just stuff bouncing around. I was all it was also like 1 a.m. and I was really tired. From play like you know playing the game a lot, and I just got off of work, so that wasn't all my situation. I'd still prefer Goma because I think Goma's more well defined in terms of how a boss works, like mechanic wise. The boss of the Grudo Mines was utterly pathetic. It was a knight, a giant knight, fat motherfuckers in the middle of the room, and he had four small knights around him, and they had bass guitars, and all they did was 
hop to you. And when they landed, like they would jump up in the air and then slam down, all the tiles around them would turn into hot coals. And the hot coals will work like they do in Crypt of the Necrodancer. So you can move on hot coals, no problem. But if you spend more than one beat on hot coals, you get hurt. So if you moved on to a tile of hot coals and then moved off it the next beat, no problem. But if you moved on to hot coals and then, let's say, attacked an enemy the next beat and you were still on the hot coals, you would get hurt from the contact damage. So essentially, these guys are just creating, you know, floor damage around the room. But that was all they did. I killed the four knights very quickly, which then allowed me to fight the big knight. And he did the same thing the small knights did, just he was bigger. Okay. And then, honestly, it took me a minute to remember the boss I fought at Lake Hylia. It was a whiz robe, but made out of a oboe, which is like one of those like really long clarinets. So it was like whiz robo something like that. Funny. I beat it in two seconds because I forgot that I had the flail equipped, and it was a glass flail, so it was doing three damage. And standard glass weapons, if you get hit when you have glass equipped, the glass shatters. The Wizrobe was teleporting around the room, but because he was so big and the flail has a really good range, I ended up standing in one spot and just kept hitting him because he was teleporting near me. The boss was over in like three seconds. I was like, what? I Honestly, I cannot remember what he did. I think he was like summoning something. But I'm being honest, I don't remember. It was that quick. Granted, it was quick because I had a powerful weapon. But the thing is, since there was no intricacy to the boss, like Crypt of the Necrodancer bosses were really inspired. You know, they were based on some sort of instrument, which was really cool. But there was a really important gimmick to them. And Legend of Zelda bosses usually have gimmicks also. Okay, so Crypt of the Necrodancer, like, you want to take down King Konga... You need to move with the conga beat, and you can only hit King Konga during the conga beat while the zombie lines are following you. Pretty cool. I actually, he was the hardest boss for me because I was so used to having this beat constantly moving. But no, the conga line actually dictated the fight, and I had to practice moving with that. Death Metal was probably the most standard boss where he would just kind of like attack and teleport around. But every time he got hurt, it was like in phases, like the first third, he would just move near and try to attack you with his shield. And then we broke that down. He started summoning, you know, uh, columns of fire to go across the room, stuff like that. Deep blues. You had to take out all the chess pieces to then get to the king. Like, there was some creativeness to it. And the Legend of Zelda bosses were usually pretty innovative because there was a weakness you had to hit, but you had to use the dungeon item you found in that dungeon to expose that weakness. So I think one of my... One of the coolest ones was... Twilight Princess, I remember when you were at the Goron Mines. So you had the iron boots to get into the mines from Sumo Wrestling, and then you found the hero bow inside the mines. So then fighting the boss at the end required you to shoot his eye with the bow and then put on the iron boots so you could pull his shackles and trip him so you can actually attack him. It was really cool. Granted, after you find the gimmick to beat the boss, they're not that hard for Legend of Zelda. Like, okay, I know what I have to do now. It's pretty easy. But still, there's, it's, you're trying to like solve a mini puzzle to get to them. The reason why Cadence of Hyrule slips up on those bosses, and those bosses were fairly easy in my opinion, because there was no dungeon-specific item tied to the swamp, tied to Lake Hylia, tied to Garuda Mines, tied to Death Mountain. The bosses didn't have any specific gimmick to 
work with a specific item. Like I said, when I fought Goma, I could see the bow making the Goma fight easier if I got the Great Bow. But if you didn't pick up the Great Bow like me, or let's say you didn't get the bow at all. Let's say you went straight for the swamp and you never found the bow before you entered the Lost Swamp. You then have no bow to fight Goma with. And I beat Goma without using the bow, but still, like, there was nothing substantial to these four boss fights in those four dungeons since there was nothing for them to work with. There was no synergy going on with, I found something in the dungeon, I fight the boss with it, which is standard Legend of Zelda fashion. So the dungeons were a slip-up. I think they were weak. They, they, were, they were on a little bit of the weaker end for that reason. Now, in terms of randomization, I don't know about the overworld, because, again, I only did one playthrough, and when you start the game up, you know, the world's generated. The dungeons, however, have some sort of, like, randomization to them. When I got to Hyrule Castle, which is, it feels like a Crypt of the Necro's answer zone. Excuse me. There's a bit going on. There's, it's a couple, like, floors you have to go through. There's an optional puzzle you can do to get a pretty good item. So there's a lot that goes on with Hyrule Castle. I was actually really happy with Hyrule Castle, except for the end part. It was a pretty cool dungeon. Now, with that, I died a few times. There was this one room I was struggling with, and every time I died, I went back to the last Sheikah Stone activated, which is at the front of the dungeon. I'd go back into Hyrule Castle and try it again. And it was a different layout. Every time I went back into Hyrule Castle and I went down into like the dungeon area where like the levels were, the rooms, was different. It was randomized. So that was pretty cool. That was nice to see that randomization. So I could... I feel like they could have done it differently. If they made the dungeons longer, if they made all the four main dungeons as long as Hyrule Castle, so the Mines, the Frozen Grotto, the Temple of Storms, and Lost Swamp, if they were as long as Hyrule Castle, essentially they were like a zone in Crypt of the Necrodancer, and they actually had a specific dungeon item for you to pick up to fight the boss, I think it would have worked out very well. Because they still had the compass, which was actually really nice because the compass would point you to either the small key if you didn't get it yet, or to where the locked door was to open up to get to like the next section of the dungeon. That was really cool. And when you picked the map up, it acted like the carrot from Crypt of the Necrodancer or the, uh, I think they had like a vision scroll where you use it and you see the entire layout of that floor of the zone. They had that. So you had the compass and you had the map, standard Legend of Zelda stuff, and there would be a chest that you would have to find. They weren't behind a locked door because it was a standard crypt layout, but it was nice like to see that kind of stuff. So again, there was a Legend of Zelda there. There was All the parts were there. I think the dungeons looked up. The overworld was fine. The overworld worked out. Heck, they still had the shooting gallery, like they do in most Legend of Zelda games, and it worked just like them. Just you had to hit the enemies to the beat. They even had bomb shoe bowling. Which, again, you put the bomb shoe down, the bomb shoe moves up, and it would move on the beat, and you'd have to time the beat. So instead of just, like, timing it with your eyes, like in Ocarina of Time bomb shoe bowling, it was timing it with the beat. So the overworld worked. It, it worked very well. And there were NPCs you could interact with. You can go to the shop to buy things with your rupees. All that good stuff. It was nice. I just, I wish the dungeons had more to them. Honestly, like, I put the overworld... That's a pretty high score. Like, overall, Legend of, for Legend of Zelda standards, that's like an 8 out of 10. Like, it's it feels like Link's Awakening. It feels like classic Legend of Zelda in the overworld. And there's even, like, 
places where you can drop a bomb to destroy a cracked wall. Or there's a certain bush that will have a butterfly on it. And if you hit it, it opens up a secret staircase. So there's secrets everywhere on the overworld. Really cool. The dungeons, like a 3 out of 10. Yeah, there was some Crypt of the Necro Dancer there, but just in terms of this being a Legend of Zelda game, there wasn't enough there. And in the Crypt of the Necro Dancer, since there was only one or two really floors for each dungeon, there wasn't even enough to call it a Crypt of the Necro Dancer style. Like, everything was there, all the parts were there, but there just wasn't enough. I would have no problem with the game being long. Like, Legend of Zelda games are usually lengthy, so I would have no problem playing a lengthy Crypt of the Necrodancer as a solid narrative. I'd be happy with playing a lengthy story like that if the dungeons provided that room, which they could have. They didn't, so that is a slip-up for me. Now let's talk about the next part, the items. Okay, I've been bringing up the items a lot. I've been talking about the rupees a bit. So let's bring up how that works. So the... Rupees. Let's talk the rupees real quick. There are two types of currency. Because the entire premise here is uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, Cadence from that game, has been teleported to Hyrule. And now some crazy shit's going down in Hyrule, so it's just like Crypt of the Necrodancer. Cadence is like, look, I know how this shit works. I've been through this before. Like, she knows about the whole, like, music and the moving with the beat and shit like that. She's like, I know how all this shit works. I just don't know where I am. So, Link, Zelda, how about you help me out here? That's kind of how the partnership works out. Like, Link and Zelda know what's what with Hyrule, and Cadence know what's what with, like, what's happening. So they work together. So because of this, like, this merge, there's still rupees from Hyrule, but there's also diamonds. Now, rupees drop from enemies. You can find them in chests. Usual stuff, like they have green, they have blue, they have the red for 20, they have silver. Heck, they even have the orange, like, standard stuff, okay? But the diamonds you can find, if you're in the overworld... And you clear out a section of the map, and you do it well. Like, you have a high multiplier from moving with the beat. You can get diamonds. You can get one diamond, you can get two diamonds. I think maybe you'll get three diamonds, but I never did. So you get diamonds from there. Cool. Now, diamonds work like diamonds did in Crypt of the Necrodancer, and the rupees work kind of like how the regular, like, gold worked in Crypt of the Necrodancer. So as you pick rupees up, you can use it to buy things from the shop. Now, again, there are shops in the dungeons. The shopkeep from Crypt of the Necrodancer is there doing his amazing opera singing along with the music. So if you find him in a dungeon, you can open up the door and he'll have random items for sale. He'll have, but instead of like equipment stuff, like the rings and the armor and shit like that, he'll have like pieces of hearts. He'll have bombs. He'll have arrows. He'll have Legend of Zelda stuff to sell for rupees. You can also find him in certain sections of the overworld and you know he's on that map because if you get to that section of the map you'll hear him singing so like okay let me clear all the enemies and then go in the shop now in the village the towns they have a what was it the uh, kokari village they have that they have the gerudo village they have they don't i didn't find any gorons granted i didn't explore the entire map so there might be gorons i just didn't meet them so next when i start up the game again i'm gonna like cover the make sure i take up the entire map and check everything so they have some villages around that you can go to and buy stuff from with rupees okay again standard fare however when you die like encrypt the necrodancer when you die you lose all of your rupees but you keep your diamonds now encrypt the necrodancer you could use the diamonds to get certain unlockables and if you want rescue the one npc you could buy starting gear for your next run 
But when you entered another a zone, you lost all your diamonds. In Cadence of Hyrule, when you die, you then meet, you go to the Fates, which is like this omnipotent being that says, no, you need to stay alive to continue going and solve this problem. So the Fates smile upon you. Here, buy some shit. You can use the diamonds to buy gear, like Crypt Necrodancer gear. So you could buy a shovel. Like they'll have shovel, a shovel option, a torch option, one or two ring options, and like something else thrown in there, like, you know, bombs, arrows, stuff like that. So then you can use the diamonds to pick up that stuff, and then you jump through the portal and go back to the world. You respawn the last stone you touched. They call it the Shaker Stone, and you keep going. Now here, you always keep your diamonds. So I never had a problem buying things because I always had diamonds. Like I, because I played a lot of Crypt of the Necro Dancer, I got like 60 diamonds before I died the first time. And then I bought everything the Fates had for me, and I made all that money back instantly. So I never worried about running out of diamonds, as long as in the overworld. When I kept dying at Hyrule Castle, I was getting a little worried because you don't get diamonds from the dungeons. Because, granted, I didn't kill all the enemies on a floor, I think. So maybe I'll get them. But still, it's diamonds are used to come across the overworld. So I never worried about running out of diamonds, which kind of sucked because death didn't have a lot of weight to it then. I was able to easily just buy items and respawn. Now, here's where things get hairy with the items. So, like I said, I could buy you can buy torches, you could buy shovels, you could buy rings, you could buy bombs, yada 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 from the fates when you die with your gems, and then you could buy restocks like bombs, bomb shoes, arrows, and shit like that from regular shops. Now, there's two different item sets essentially. There's Crypt of the Necro Dancer with their setup. But then there's Legend of Zelda stuff. So, Crypt of the Necrodancer. There were rings. There were boots. There was armor. Stuff like that. In Cadence of Hyrule, there are still rings. There are still boots. There are still torches. There are still shovels. But there's no armor. And what they did instead, since it's more of an adventure-based game, everything has a durability. So your torch actually has a durability. Over time, the torch will go out and die. You can still see in the dungeons, but your vision is very narrowed. You can also use the torch to light stumps on fire to clear out paths. So again, like kind of that, that puzzle bit. If I'm in the overworld, I don't need a torch, but I should pick one up when I have the chance because there might be some stumps in the woods that I want to burn down to access another location. Like right outside of Link's house, I couldn't go down unless I had a torch to burn them. Okay, and the torches have various things. They still have like plus one vision. They have, you know, plus three vision, but brittle because it's made of glass. They still had the item see, so if you had this torch, you could see what items were in the chests. They also had a pretty cool one that reflect projectiles. Since enemies have projectiles, like those Octoroths and stuff like that, there was a torch that would actually automatically reflect any projectiles that came into contact with you. But it cost durability for the torch. There was another one. What did it do? Oh, it dealt damage. So, like, if you hit an enemy, it was either if you hit an enemy or if an enemy hit you, it would do damage to them on top of everything else. Again, at the cost of durability. So, that's pretty That's pretty cool. And same thing with the rings. There was still the, you kill five enemies, you get half a heart ring. There was the piercing ring. You know, plus one damage. Plus 0.5 defense. Standard crypt stuff. But again, since it's more of an adventure and it's all about, like, you know, always searching for these items... Everything that was an equipment, we'll say, like the ring, the boots, stuff like that, had a durability to it. So eventually it would break and you have to get a new one, okay? 
And if you had a glass item and it broke, it didn't leave you a shard of glass. It just was gone altogether. So that stuff was temporary. The shovel, the torch, boots, and the ring are temporary equipment. Now, Legend of Zelda, you have then permanent equipment. Things like the bow. The bow will never run out of durability. It just has a limited number of arrows that you then restock. Same thing with bombs, bomb shoes, the war drum, the hook shot, stuff like that is permanent. Now, here's where it gets fishy. Like I said, the dungeons don't have dungeon-specific items. So, I found the bow right away. Because I think this game is supposed to be roguelike and you play multiple times, loot is randomized. So I found the bow in a hidden chamber. Like, you know, I destroyed a bush that revealed a staircase in the world. I went down it. There were some enemies. I killed the enemies, and I opened up a chest. And I was like, here's the bow. I'm like, oh, good shit, fam. So I found the bow right away. I found bombs. Same way. Just started finding bombs. Uh, bomb shoes I bought for the first. I just like, bought some bomb shoes. I'm like, okay, let me see how these work. I don't like them. Like, I never really like bomb shoes. But that's the thing. Since there's no item tied to an area or item tied to a dungeon, you just kind of start stumbling across things. I eventually found the hook shot. Since I didn't pick it up from a dungeon chest, there was a mini boss I killed on the map in like a secret area. And I was like, beat dubs, here's a hook shot. I'm like, huh, neat shit. Since these things are just more permanent, you just, you find them. They just, they're just kind of lying. You just got to eventually find them. So my inventory screen, I only have about half the inventory slots filled up. By the time I beat the game, I only needed the hookshot to get a special weapon. Otherwise, the hookshot was never needed. Bombs are never needed, but are very powerful. You only have five. You only have five bombs. I don't think there's an upgrade to the amount of bombs you can carry. I didn't find it with my first playthrough. You only get five bombs, and they're incredibly powerful. Like you can, you find a few lying around, but it's tough. Like there's not a lot out there in terms of like ammunition for them. So careful with your bombs. Seriously, be careful using bombs. You're going to need them. It was like... Eh? It's hard to build a narrative because there's no specific order to get the items. Like, I could have gotten the bomb first. I could have gotten the bomb shoes first. I could have gotten the hook shot first. I could have gotten the bow first, like I did. There's no narrative going on there with the items. So... Ease of access sometimes happens, sometimes it doesn't. So before I mention Death Mountain, I think I cheesed. Okay, and now we're talking about the items. This is why I think I cheesed it. So there's all these different permanent items you can get. The hook shot, the bow, stuff like that. Now, I didn't get the hook shot until the very end. So in terms of getting over chasms at Death Mountain, I might have been able to use a hook shot, but I didn't have it. But what I did find were the hover boots. Now, the hover boots were really cool. I liked them. Pretty cool item for Ocarina of Time, where after you went over a cliff, you'd have a couple seconds where you're able to just r keep running on nothing, just on air, before you fell. And you used up some magic, and it also it lowered your traction on normal ground, so you had to be careful while using it. Now then, that was an item that you got in a dungeon, right? That was an item that Link could use, right? In Cadence of Hyrule, because it's a boot item, the hover boots, it's only temporary. Again, it has that durability. It will eventually break. Now, I found the hover boots at one point, and I'm like, wait a minute. There are chasms all around Death Mountain. Like, these little, like, craters of rivers and stuff like that. The hover boots make me hover. 
I'm going to go back. I warped back to Death Mountain. And now that I have the hover boots, I'm just going to walk across these things. There was a hint I was given for something else. So there might have been some other item to get, which again, I'm assuming there is. But I just used a temporary item and boom, got into the Temple of Storms just by walking across all these places with the hover boots. The reason why I think this was a cheese, to get to the Lost Swamp, there was a puzzle you had to do with Tingle that he then gave you an item that when you activated in the Lost Woods, it would rumble if you knew the right entrance. And then anywhere else in the map, it would rumble if there's like a secret nearby. To get into the Gerudo Mines, you had to go around and find these gears and return the gears to this per this woman so she could repair a bridge to let you into it. To get to the Frozen Grotto, which was the water temple, you had to go down to this, uh, this shop on the beach and buy a snorkel from this guy. And then you had to go wake up the prince, who was currently under a spell, and he would give you flippers so you could then swim through the deep water to get to the temple. All those items are permanent items. The hover boots aren't. So I have no idea how you're supposed to properly get into Death Mountain. I just kind of cheese my way in. Because there's no narrative with the items. There's no, you get the bombs at this point. You get the boomerang at this point. You get the bow at this point. I just stumbled upon getting into Death Mountain. Which is cool. Like That's, a, that's roguelike. Don't get me wrong. There's roguelike there. It was just kind of like, oops-a-daisy? I, I guess I'm here now. Now, what was pretty cool was the tower shield. Link and Cadence can use shields. Now, one of the special items to get, which I eventually found, was the tower shield. And it, act, it acts just like a normal shield. But it also prevents wind fans from pushing you. So, the iron boots were used to increase your weight to either sink to the bottom of water, or if there was like a wind tunnel kind of thing, like I know the Shadow Temple, for whatever fucking reason... And Ocarina of Time had those giant fans, and I know they did it in Twilight Princess in the actual Sky Temple, had those fans that would push you with the wind gusts. The Iron Boots would, you know, keep you in place. The Tower Shield does the same thing in Cadence of Hyrule. You just got to point towards the fan, and then you can walk towards it with the shield. And then bada-bing, bada-boom, you walk through the wind. So, using the Temple of Storms again as the example with how randomizing items can be challenging... When I got to the Temple of Storms, the reason why I had an easy time getting through with it is there was two corridors. When I walked in, there was obviously the boss door. There was a corridor to the right that didn't have any fans blowing, and there was a corridor to the left that did have fans blowing. So the corridor to the right, I went there. It was actually just an optional area. I would never had to go down that place. I just went there, and I found like some extra money, and I think I found like some extra bombs or something. It was a completely optional side of the dungeon, the side with the winds, the fans blowing was where I had to go to get the boss key. And since I happened to get the tower shield earlier on, I just got went in. Now, again, things like the tower shield, it works out, again, for the randomness of a roguelike. Because, oh, I don't have the tower shield. Let, let me go back into the old world and keep punching. Like, I know they did it for Link's Awakening and A Link to the Past and stuff like that. There were certain hidden areas you can go to to find certain items. So I think that was pretty cool. And they also had the mirror shield, which acted like a tower shield, and it did something else. I honestly can't remember what it was. I'm going to be real with you guys. I can't remember what the mirror shield did. It didn't, like, reflect light or anything like that. They didn't have any mechanic like that, uh, sadly. It wouldn't work in this kind of game. So that kind of stuff works out. But stuff like the hover boots, it was kind of weird making that a random item that had durability. And since the items themselves weren't tied to particular dungeons, sometimes the game can just be easier or you just streamline through something and i mean 
I only got the boomerang by chance. If I didn't happen to stumble upon the boomerang by opening up a hidden area, I would have never gotten it because it had no greater... Like, the items have no greater purpose. Besides, like, the tower shield, the items aren't needed. Yeah, you could go through the entire game with bombs. You only use the bombs to do some serious damage or open up hidden areas. You don't need to go into all the hidden areas, though. All right? If you end up... I found the tower shield by cutting down a bush. So I didn't need bombs. I cut the bush down. I went down, killed the enemy, got the tower shield. So you don't need bombs. You don't need the bow. Like You don't need anything besides the tower shield to complete the game. Which, yeah, still goes to roguelike style. Like Crypt the Necrodancer, you could beat the entire game as Cadence using just the dagger and the basic shovel and nothing else. It's just, since it's a Legend of Zelda game, I feel like there should be be something there. There should be some narrative with the items. There should be some connection between the items and the dungeons. And when you die, because it's a mix of roguelike with Legend of Zelda adventuring, when you die, the permanent items, like bombs, bows, stuff like that that doesn't have durability, you keep through death. But the stuff with durability, stuff like the rings, the boots, the torches, stuff like that, you lose those. So you can you know, buy upgraded versions instead of finding them in a dungeon or on the map. You can buy them when you die. So there's there's that weird reset of durability items, like temporary items, but the permanent items are actually permanent. When you find them on the map, you keep them. It works in some regard because, yeah, if I found, you know, the boomerang and I need the boomerang to beat the dungeon, I need to keep the boomerang. Same with the tower shield. I need the tower shield to win, so if I lose the tower shield upon death, it would suck. Yeah. So the items, for the most part, work. I just wish that the key items, the hookshot, the bow, and that kind of stuff were tied to a boss. Because then, not only are you moving to the beat with the boss in standard crypt style, you also just have that Legend of Zelda feel of fighting the boss with the special item. Now, let's also talk about weapons real quick. Alright, that's in the same pool. So the weapons... It has the same lineup of crypts. Like I said, there's the dagger, there's the sword, there's the broadsword, there's the flail, there's the spear, stuff like that. And there's the various variants. So if you get the blood version, every time you get five kills, you get half a heart back. They added in emerald versions, which is really cool. Emerald versions were, uh, sorry, you would poison them, which the poisons actually would help me beat the boss at the Temple of Storms. Because I would just stab him with the sword and then run away, and the poison would do like another two or three hearts of damage. So I would just poke him every now and then. It was very effective. So you have emerald for poison. They still have obsidian for you know multiplier damage. So all that's still there. There's still the glass versions. All that's still there. However, however, they are permanent, with the exception of glass, obviously, because glass is brittle and it will shatter upon damage. So when I found the a blood dagger. Even though I died, I still had the blood dagger, and I was able to switch what weapon I wanted. So I could switch between the blood dagger and a normal dagger. I could switch from the spear to the flail, because I found a flail and I found a spear. So you can, which is pretty cool, like, I actually like that. I think that's a really cool addition, because you still have crypt weaponry in there. But just like Link, who's versatile with many items, you can switch between the flail to the spear to the sword to work with your playstyle or just the need of the dungeon. Like, if you're going to a dungeon with a lot of enemies, yeah, I probably should take the flail because I can just swing it a bunch of times in front of me 
and deal a bunch of damage. And then, oh, I'm getting low on hearts. Let me pick up my blood spear so I can stay at a distance, poke some enemies to kill them, and get health back. Really cool concepts. And at one point, I found a great fairy fountain, and the great fairy wasn't able to give me any magic. She said, look, because of the shit that's going down in Hyrule, I actually can't use my magic right now. I'm sorry. However, I have these these uh, fusions. Was it like, in, yeah, infusions are available. There was two infusions ready for five gems each. There was an obsidian infusion and a blood infusion. So what I was able to do is I took my basic spear, spent five diamonds, and I took the blood infusion. It was then, it was red, and it was a blood spear now that had the ability to, every five kills, I get half a heart back. That's really cool. I think that's really awesome that you can find a great fairy and buy infusions for your basic weapon. So if you're really liking the flail, but you would like to flail to poison it also... Well, maybe you'll find the Great Fairy that has a green gem infusion, and then boom, you have a poison flail. That is so cool. That's like a 10 out of 10 in my book. The fact that you can modify your weapons is awesome. So definitely, the rest of the items, the way the mechanics worked, it was all right for the most part. Except for like the big things I commented on about not having items tied to dungeons, and I can beat the entire game with only the tower shield. But the fact that I can take a weapon and infuse it, ooh, that's a 10 out of 10 in my book. I love games that give you customization options with your weaponry. So, mm, mm, some good stuffs, some good stuffs. Now, from there, let's talk about the characters, okay? Both in terms of play, like who you play and their mechanics and just story-related. So let's talk about the mechanics first in terms of playability. When the game starts, you're running around as Cadence, and you eventually meet one of the fates... You know, it's elderly looking woman, I, th- I think. And she's all like, yeah, shit's going down in Hyrule, and you're kind of stuck here right now. So if you want to find out how to get home, you should talk to these two people. There's a portal to Link, and there's a portal to Zelda. And it's like, it's a one-way portal, so pick, choose wisely. So I'm like, I'll try Link first. So I picked Link. I go through the portal, and I end up in Link's home. And he's sleeping, as per the usual. So you slap him awake and be like, yo, bitch, psh, wake on up. And he's like, what? And so Cadence kind of talks like saying, like, yo, shits went down. I'm not sure how to get home, but I know you're, you know, an important person here. So here, take this shovel. Take this, you know, take a few things. Uh, yeah, go. I'm going to go try and find out how to get home. So she immediately, di- Cadence immediately ditched the link, and I just had to play as Link. Now, over time, eventually I found Zelda. She was at Kokari Village, but there was a spell that happened, so she was put to sleep. So I actually had to go to the Kokari Graveyard and do, like, a mini crypt dungeon to find a potion that would then wake her up. And then she's like, oh, shit, Link. Shit got real. We should work together and solve this problem. High five. And then I was able to switch between Link and Zelda. Now, here's what's cool. Just between Link and Zelda. Link has the shield he can use to block attacks and deflect ranged things. And eventually, I... Ran into Cadence randomly, who she's like, by the way, he's a pretty cool sword technique. So instead of the old man who says, take, you know, it's dangerous to go alone, take this, and you get the sword from him. Cadence kind of first is like, I found some cool shit, you want it? So you find a sword technique from her, so you have the spin attack. So Link gets the shield and the spin attack. And in terms of items, he can use the sword, the uh, the broadsword, the flail, the spear. And then he has access to kind of like the big Goron blade, like the two-handed blade, where you actually can act, you can press the button item or the shield item so instead of blocking you actually stick the sword out and then you can just like swing it around you randomly it's kind of cool i never used it 
But Zelda, on the other hand, Zelda has her magic, so she actually has Din's fire and Nehru's love. So instead of a shield, she uses Nehru's love as a spell, which takes up uh, magic or stamina from her. And then Din's fire is actually really cool, but really hard to use. When you cast Din's fire, she shoots the fireball in front of her, and she goes stationary. And then when you move, instead of moving Zelda with the beat now, you actually move the fireball with the beat. And when the fireball reaches an enemy, it explodes like a bomb. So you want to make sure that you use it and Zelda's far enough away that she can get caught in the explosion. Again, it uses magic. So it's pretty cool that they have their own unique moveset in a way. And then in terms of items, Zelda, in terms of weapons, she can also use a spear, spear, flail, and broadsword. That's common between all the playable characters. But the difference is where Link can use a sword, Zelda has to use a dagger. And where Link can use a two-handed big sword, Zelda uses a rapier. Now, what's really important about this is if you find a blood dagger, as I mentioned before, I stab you five, five enemies, I kill five enemies, I get half a heart back as a dagger, Link can't use it. Link only uses the normal sword, not the dagger. So there is a difference in a way of what weapons you find. And there, there are plenty, like, they're all open. You can, I opened up, I ran, lost track, I lost track of how many fucking glass weapons I found. I opened up so many chances, like, Here's a glass sword. Here's a glass flail. Here's a glass spear. Here's a glass sword. I'm like, I don't want fucking glass weapons. <laughs> I don't like the idea of I get poked and my weapon breaks and I have to switch to a different weapon. I'm not a fan. Which is really easy to do. You open up a menu. That's how you switch items. So it's real easy. You don't have to worry about it. I like that, though. I, I like the uniqueness of each person. And with Zelda, at least, what was really cool is the rapiers. I mentioned before at Hyrule Castle, there was a special little puzzle that you could do it was actually like like legend of zelda puzzling in a vault and at the end of it i opened a chest and it had the royal rapier that only zelda could use because she could use rapiers the royal rapier did bonus damage you could lunge forward with it as you do with crypt of the necro dance so the rapier made you lunge so it still has that going for it and if you had stamina available it would then push the enemy back and every time you kill an enemy you get stamina back so it it was pretty cool like you could actually I played Zelda at the end a lot because of the Royal Rapier. Decent damage and be able to push enemies back away from me made it really good for like the enemies that had AoE attacks or had long range. I could just position them out of the way and get out in time. It was really cool. From there, you have Cadence. I found Cadence near the end because the Grudo Valley was the last place I went to. And she was just in a cave. Like I found her in caves all the time. But this time I found her in a cave. She's like, you know what? We should team up. Why the fuck were you teaming up in the beginning? <laughs> you woke Link up in the beginning. Why didn't you say, BT Dubs, how about I, I team up with you instead of running off like you did? It didn't make sense in terms of the plot. I don't know why she decided to join up with me at Grudo Valley. I guess. Is it? I, I'm assuming the reason why she did is what, what I think they do is there is a random role for Cadence to appear in certain like mini caves, like I blow up this wall or I reveal this hidden location and I go into the cave. I think there's a role to see if she appears there. And the first, like the first two or three times she appears, she gives you, you know, the shovel, she gives you this spin attack. So I think what the, what they do is after you find, let's say that I think there are three, the three things that Cadence gives you, the fourth time you find her, she decides to team up with you. I think is what they do. So since I just happened to find her the last time at Gerudo Valley at the end of the game, she decides to join up with me. Now, with her, she can use a shield like Link, which is weird for her character. I'm not sure why they did that. 
but okay, whatever. And her other thing, instead of having Din's Fire or a Spin Attack, she actually has a Shovel Attack where she'll – you hit the button. She lifts the Shovel up one beat, waits a beat, and the next beat she slams it down and actually does an AoE Shockwave in front of you that automatically digs out any walls that you can and damages all enemies in the Blast. It's pretty cool. It's a little hard to use because you have to plan it ahead since there's that beat delay. But it's pretty cool. And then from there, she has she can use the Dagger. She can use the Spear. She can use the Flail. She can use the Broadsword. The fifth item she has access to, it might be the rapier. I honestly can't remember. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real with you. I can't remember because I didn't play Cadence that much because I got her at the end. So there's all the different characters, how they interact. Beyond that, they can use all the same items. Like, everyone can use the bow. Everyone can use bombs. Like, those permanent and temporary items that you find around the world, anyone can use. It's just the weapons and the special like, abilities that differ between them. And because they have this, you can do co-op, which is pretty cool. You can have two people play together, which is nice. And since the Switch automatically comes with two controllers, you can do two-player right off the bat, which is nice. I'm looking forward to trying that one day to see how this game works out co-op. Now let's talk about all the other characters in terms of the story. Like, how is the story built? Because, again, since this is a... Legend of Zelda game and Crypt of the Necrodancer game, they have two things to handle. In Crypt of the Necrodancer, it had a story. It was a very simple, straightforward story, but it worked. In Legend of Zelda, usually has some epic story behind it. It's mostly good versus evil, but there's always, like, some fun way of telling it. You know, Twilight Princess is, you know, the King of Darkness, Zant, coming out from the Twilight Realm and taking over the world and turning Link into a wolf. You know, Wind Waker is Gandalf's actually jealous and mad at the god and say they had betrayed us by flooding the world. So this, I'm trying to get back at them. Like, the motives are always kind of slightly different and the way they interact is a little bit different, which is really cool. So how does Cadence of Hyrule go about its story? Well, the story begins by Cadence just going into reality and face, it's actually kind of hilarious and adorable. She just suddenly appears in Hyrule and face plants into the dirt. And she gets up and it's like, okay, where the hell am I? What the hell is going on? And you're immediately met with a fairy. And it says, hey, hey, listen. So you're like, fuck me. We're doing this again. And it's actually kind of nice that the fairy only does tutorial stuff in the very beginning. Like after you figure something out, like, you know, about how to access your items or how the map works, or whatever, the fairy doesn't bug you, which is really nice. She's there solely for tutorial purposes, which is nice. So this fairy just appears to help you and tell you what's going down. And it's like, okay, all right. So that's a thing. So you learn a few things, and then you travel a little bit, and that's eventually when you meet the Fate. And Fate's all like, yeah, Batch, it's going down to Hyrule, and you're kind of lost here. So like I said before, you pick Link or you pick Zelda, have them help you out. Okay, I guess. And then from there, it just says, something bad has happened in Hyrule. There's evil magic in Hyrule. That's all that's said. It's like, okay, wait, what? How this happened? Wait, what, what, what? Okay, I'm. What happened? That's kind of standard. Like, how did the Twilight come to the land of Hyrule and Twilight Princess? You eventually find out. What's the importance of the Ocarina of Time and why does Gandorf want it? You eventually find out. So, what's the big evil magic in Canes of Hyrule? It's never really flushed out. Obviously, it's Ganon. It, of course, it has to be Ganon. But all the bits in between is what falls apart. So the main baddie of the place is Octava. O-C-T-A-V. 
octave, octave. You know, music puns. Again, this is where the story is going to fall apart. So in that opening cutscene where Cadence kind of pops into reality, they give you a bit of backstory of what happened in Hyrule. This guy named Octave randomly showed up with the golden loot, I might add, which I haven't beaten Cadence, uh, Crypt of the Necronancer all the way. I'm actually with the fourth unlocked character, the grandmother, that you have to always move the beat, and if you miss one beat, you die automatically, and you have to go from zone four to zone one kind of thing, like the backwards thing which I'm struggling with. But anyway, I thought the whole point with Crypto Necronancer was the destruction of the golden loot. So who the fuck is Octave? And how did he get the golden loot? And how did he go from the universe of Crypto Necrodancer to Hyrule? What? Like, there's that big plot hole there right now. Now... Maybe, because I never beat Crypto Necronancer, maybe there's a cutscene at the end of Crypto Necronancer that spoils us. And if there is, holy shit, Brace Yourself Games has been in Nintendo's pocket for a while knowing that they would go from Crypto Necronancer to making Cadence of Hyrule. But I don't think that's true. I, I don't think there was a setup at the end of Crypto Necrodancer spoiling Cadence of Hyrule saying this is actually going to be a thing. I, so again, that story of how did the golden loot get into Octave's hands and how did Octave get from Crypto Necrodancer's universe to Hyrule? What? So, again, this is where the story's falling apart. From there, Octave's motives. So why is he taking over Hyrule? Why is he playing the music and putting people to sleep? Like, he puts the, the king to sleep and takes over the castle. Stuff like that. Why does he do that? Because he wants to resurrect his great lord Ganondorf to take over the world. And the four dungeons you go to to get... There's, like, four magical entrances you have to get. Like Link's Awakening, the magic instruments. But instead of using the magical instruments to, let's say awaken some great goodness to fight the evil, here was Octave's motive. You eventually find out Octave made these great champions out of these magical instruments to battle against Ganon. I repeat, Octave is trying to stop Ganon. And instead of him working with Link and Zelda, because I guess he's not native to Hyrule, so he doesn't know the legend of both Zelda and Link, he thinks he has to stop all of them and use these great magic instruments to fight Ganon. What? So why does he hypnotize the king? Why does he put all the good people to sleep that could help him? He thinks he's the only one that can stop Ganon by using these great instruments and these great champions, which you kick all their asses, and you show up to Hyrule Castle being like, yo, bitch, what the fuck? And even when you finally reach him to battle him, to battle Octave at the end of Hyrule Castle, he's like, I still, I need to stop Ganondorf, and you're getting in my way. So he battles you because he wants to battle Ganon. What? And even the fight against Octave himself, like, anyone who's beaten Crypt of the Necrodancer with Cadence, just the first character, knows that the Crypt, that the Necrodancer fight is just a fucking experience it is very challenging the music is amazing and the mechanics of having to control two characters to then pick up the loot to use against him is a very awesome fight and he's summoning all these monsters during the fight that you have to battle at the same time it's really cool so how do they handle octave octave is able to summon enemies it's, it's actually very similar to how the necrodancer worked He's up on a pedestal, and you can't reach him, 
And so he's summoning enemies to fight you. And the enemies he summons, there's four banners in the room that resemble the four magical instruments you found. So the maracas. The maracas summon these little goma babies. The ob summons wizrobes to fight you. So it's really cool how that connects. I like the setup. It's a really cool setup. You got the conductor, octave, on top, summoning all these monsters to fight you. So how do you hurt octave? Well, you just wait for him to come down and then you poke him. Yeah, he just... He just teleports down onto the floor where he's vulnerable. You walk over and you poke him. That's it. No gimmick. You just walk over and poke him. Again, because it's roguelike and the items you get are surely random, like I said, you could reach Octave with nothing. You could reach Octave without the bombs or the bow so or the hookshot. You don't need any of that. So how do you make a gimmick-based boss when you might not have the items? Because it's not mandatory to have the items. So they missed the gimmick there. Okay, so how we be like beat Octave? Like I said, you poke him. And then either by poking him or killing enough enemies, eventually the banners in the room that represent the four magical instruments just go out. They turn gray. So eventually the Ob just went gray and there was no more wizards being spawned. I think that was tied to Octave getting poked. So I poked him four times and then the battle was over. Seriously, like... I was getting into the battle. I'm like, okay, I see what's happening. Okay, here's I, I was actually like work, like getting into the beat and figuring out, okay, how am I going to dodge all these enemies to get to Octave because all the enemies that are summoned act completely different. Like the whiz robes teleport and shoot long-range projectiles. The Goma babies move diagonal towards me. Like I was finally figuring out how I was going to dodge all these patterns and then battle's over and I beat Octave. Just like that. And when you beat him, he's all like, yeah, shit. Uh, fuck it. I, I still need to try and fight again anyway. And he runs away. Now, from there, again, the golden loot. Um, yeah, you just kind of get it. Like, at one point, you find Cadence in one of those, like, temples, like a, a cave. And she's like, oh, by the way, here's this really cool loot you can use to teleport around the world. So that's how you get fast travels by using the loot. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's it. It doesn't come into play any other time. It doesn't come into play against Octave. Heck, it doesn't even come into play against Ganon. You just kind of get it to fast travel. All right, so you beat Octave, and Octave runs away like a bitch. And so you chase him down. As you're chasing him down, there's this portal that opened. And in true Legend of Zelda fashion, there's some weird time shit going on. You go through the portal, and it actually forwards you in time. And you find out from the fates, they said, yeah, it's not a matter of, like, the question no longer is, Cadence, of where are you, it's when are you. You end up getting teleported to the future, future Hyrule, which... Just like Ocarina of Time, like there's a lot of fan service for Ocarina of Time here. Like the bosses being inspired, like the bosses inspired by bosses in the past, both musical instruments, the time warping. Like there is a lot of Legends of the fan service, which is nice. So you end up teleporting to the future, which of course is a bleak and dark Hyrule. Now instead of you going through another version of Hyrule Field and getting to the castle to be Ganon, you appear at Hyrule Castle because the portal to the future was at Hyrule Castle, so it just teleports to Hyrule Castle. You only say at Hyrule Castle. Now, there's not another dungeon. You enter Hyrule Castle, and you go up this lengthy hallway to fight Ganon. On your way there, you find Octave passed out. And he's all like, I couldn't beat, like, I wasn't strong enough alone to beat Ganon. Then that's it. Octave's done. Like, there's Octave's story arc. Done. We don't know where he came from. Again, maybe there's something I'm missing, because I didn't 100% complete the game. Maybe there's some story stuff I missed, or, like, there's some extra content you can get. If you get everything, I don't know, but... In terms of what the game delivers to you with a standard run of the game, Octave shows up out of nowhere in Hyrule, somehow with the golden loot, then just 
decides to leave the golden loot lying around for Cadence to get. And his motives are, I have to fight Ganon, so I'm going to take over Hyrule and beat the heroes so I can fight Ganon. And then Ganon kicks his ass. Octave's done. Which sucks, because even Zant, even though Zant's ending was kind of sad, that it's like suddenly, yeah, actually Ganon's the real villain here. Zant still had a really good story arc, considering he got thrown to the side at the end when you finally beat him. He did kind of get tossed aside, but he went through a pretty strong arc and a pretty threatening one at that. Majora's Mask, abusing Skull Kid, was a constant presence. The moon was a constant presence. Even though you never fought the mask and you rarely interact with Skull Kid, like you interact with Skull Kid in the beginning and every time you went to the top of the clock tower was really the only time you interact with Skull Kid and Majora's Mask until the very end when you fought them. But the moon there, that was Majora's presence at all time. The threat was there. So, there was some arc to the character. And even in Majora's Mask, since the fairy companion you had was Skull Kid's friend, there is some progression. There's so, You learn some stuff, and there's some interesting lore behind it that you learn over time. Octave is just... Pfft, he's just shat out all of a sudden. So now we get to Ganon, the final boss, the big baddie. You're going to fight Ganon, which, of course you are. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. Ganon is the big bad of Legend of Zelda. It makes sense that he's the big bad. So you walk into the room, and I was immediately excited. Here you have Ganon. Again, I keep saying Ganon because there is no Ganondorf. You know, usually it's like it's Ganondorf is the human version, and then Ganon is like the pig demon version. He's just Ganon. Like, there is no Ganondorf. He's just in his demonic pig form from the start. Which eh, is a little bit of a slip-up. It's a little bit upsetting. Which sucks. But, you know, okay, let's work with this. Because you walk into the room and here's Ganon sitting in front of this massive organ. And it's like, oh my god, this guy is going to do some sick riffs on an organ and wreck my shit, isn't he? Because I'm used to Crypto the Necrodancer. Necrodancer, all his different versions, and even the Conductor on the DLC, are difficult fights that just shred you. Like, they have awesome music playing and they are just a challenge they have all these summons they do there's this gimmick you have to figure out to beat them there's just you are handling so much and i loved it so ganon here comes the ganon fight i'm like let's get fucking ready because ganon also always has multiple phases two three sometimes four phases is a ganon fight so i was like all right fuck it let's go what's gonna happen phase one starts the battle starts and there's all, all three of you are there cadence zelda and link Immediately, Ganon freezes only two of them, leaving the third one free, which I think it's whoever you're controlling at the time. I was controlling Link, so Link was the one who wasn't frozen. Okay, weird that you leave one of them unfrozen. All right. Okay. So Ganon is playing the organ, and enemies start spawning. Compared to Octave, there's barely any enemies. He summons barely anything. They're real easy to avoid enemies. So what's the goal? An enemy, I'm, I'm being real, like, two, three enemies appear. One, or two, three, appear. Easy to dodge enemies, easy to avoid enemies. Okay. So, Cadence and Zelda are trapped in ice. I break the ice, they're now free. Okay. Now I'm controlling both of them. So every time I hit the right key, you know, they move to the right. Okay. Like, when you have uh, Durian and Cadence to fight the Necrodancer, as in the first version, you're controlling both of them at the same time. So I move over to the other ice block. Tick, tick, tick. 
broke it open. Okay, now Zelda's free. Now I'm controlling all three of them together. All right? Okay, so how is it going to come into play? I'm controlling all three of them at the same time, which can be a little bit difficult. And there's two pillars in the room. It's, a, it's very similar to the Necro Dancer fight. There's two pillars in the room, so you can kind of like separate them if you need if need be. So here's what happens. Every now and then, Ganon will leave the organ and jump in the air, like the boss from the Groot of Mines, will jump in the air and then pff, land on the floor. And like, it will show where he's landing. So you move out of the way, and he lands. And he does it again. And that's his attack. That is his attack. Jumps in the air, slams the ground. Jump in the air, slam the ground. Jump in the air, slam the ground. Okay, so how do I hurt him? Well, he has a shield on him. So how do you hurt him? You randomly hit him with one of your characters. doesn't matter who. You just hit him with somebody. It then stuns that person, but it also stuns Gandalf and brings down his shield. So let's say I poke him with Zelda. Zelda's now stunned. The shield goes down, and Ganon's sitting there. Okay. Excuse me. I walk over. I poke him with Cadence. Boom, I did a damage. Boom. That's it. I did, I did damage. That's how I hurt Gandalf. Okay. So what's phase two like? I hurt Ganon. Maybe there's a phase two. Ganon returns to the organ and says, boom, bitch, two of them are frozen. Same thing. Same, same exact thing. Break him out of ice. He'll be jumping around. I poke him to bring down the shield. I poke him again to hurt him. He returns to the organ. Okay, maybe now there'll be a phase two. Boom, they're frozen in ice. Okay, they're frozen in ice again. But now there's three triangles on the floor, like the Triforce. Okay. So I stay on the Triforce, nothing happens. Okay, let me break out the other two people. Maybe I have to, like, find a way to orient, the, orient them so they can line up with the, the triangles on the floor because there's the space between them to then activate the Triforce. Uh, nope, the second one of them steps on a triangle. They just stay there in the ground using, channeling their power. So I don't have to try and, like, plan out how they move to all stand at the same time. I just hit the one triangle, hit the next, and then hit the third part of the Triforce. Like, that's all, that's all I had to do. There was no... Figuring out how to position them. They just glued... They, they locked in when they reached there. Okay, so all three of them on different parts of the Triforce. And, you know, channel our power together. Okay, so maybe it's going to, like, destroy the shield or something that Ganon has. And then the next phase is going to start. Nope, Ganon's dead. That's it. We beat Ganon. He's evaporated. The organ shatters. That's it. It's done. Most disappointing Ganon fight ever. Like, there's nothing to do. I broke people out of ice, and I poked a pig. That is what I did for the fight. What? Like, come on, guys. Like, come on. This is Ganon. This is motherfucking Ganon. The greatest, like, the greatest evil ever. What is going on here? So the story ends. And now it's like, okay, Cadence, time to send you back. And, like, Cadence narrates these cutscenes. It's kind of like say what's going down. So Legend and Link, Zelda and Link are like, yeah, let's, you know, get you out of here. We can use our power because you helped save, you know, you saved the time, da, 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 da. And because, you know, Legend of Zelda always has weird time shit going on. We can send, you know, we can send you out of here back to your own place. Okay, what the hell? First off, why is Cadence able to channel a part of the Triforce? She doesn't have it. It's Link got courage. Zelda got wisdom, Ganon got strength. So how is Cadence able to provide support here with the Triforce? She shouldn't. 
also, again, this is fucking Ganon. He always has some epic fight for him, and there was nothing there. Okay, and now the fates. So who are the fates? Well, the fates are apparently some, you know, omnipotent godly being that watches over everything that says you have, you know, is your fate, your duty to beat Ganon and save the world. That's it. You only see them when you die. And at the very beginning, when Keynes is told about, like, what's going on, that's the only time you see them. So we get, like, nothing in terms of who they are or what impact they have. And again, Octave is just... Not even like a B plot villain. He's like a C or D plot villain. He literally has no impact on anything that happens. Oh, then he's the reason why shit went south. That's it. That's who Octave is. And it sucks because he's a pretty cool, like, he's a pretty cool villain. You know, and there could have been something built in there. Like, okay, maybe he's an unlockable character. Again, I don't know because I haven't played the game beyond just doing one playthrough, which took me somewhere between three and four hours. Okay. Maybe there's something else going on there with Octave. I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Which sucks, because he's a cool villain. And then Ganon is just a goddamn disappointment. Even in Twilight Princess, where he shows in on Act 3 and shows up and like, yo, I'm actually the real evil here. Honestly, his whole setup is probably my favorite in Twilight Princess. Getting to Hyrule Castle, which he took over. Climbing the stairs to finally get to him. You fight Puppet Zelda. You then fight Pig Ganon. You then have to hit Ganondorf while you're on horseback. And then you actually duel him. It was a really cool fight. But Ganon in Cadence of Hyrule is just... There's nothing there. And also, here's the other disappointing part. Crypt of the Necrodancer has an amazing soundtrack. And Ganon and Ganondorf in the Legend of Zelda games always has memorable music. Because it's this huge build-up to this fight. So the music is always powerful. I honestly can't remember the music that was playing during the Ganon fight. I don't remember it. I remember the Twilight Princess music I was playing. I remember the music I was playing when I fought Demise in Skyward Sword. Like, I remember those tracks. Even though I only fought Demise once a long time ago when Skyward Sword first came out, I still remember that. But Ganon? I can't remember his tune. The the music was not memorable, which is a real disappointment because it was both Ganon and it's Crypto Necrodancer music. So... Overall, the music in general works. Like, I wouldn't say it's as great as Crypt of the Necrodancer because Legend of Zelda always had decent music, but it was never my top favorite. So, Cadence of Hyrule takes Legend of Zelda music and remixes it to work with this techno beat kind of thing. It's electric music. So, the music works. It's not exceptional in my opinion because i just not the biggest fan of Legend of Zelda, but it works. It works. And in terms of difficulty, because... You get heart containers and heart pieces, and there are hearts aplenty because it's a Legend of Zelda game, so you find a lot of hearts. You don't have to worry too much about dying that often, and I guess if you've ever played Crypt of the Necrodancer, it will be a hard game because trying to learn how to work with that combat based on beats, I could see being difficult to learn. I remember when I first booted up Crypt of the Necrodancer, I fucking sucked because it's such an abstract concept to figure out. So I think coming from Crypt experience... Cadence wasn't that hard of a game because of it. Because beyond that, Legend of Zelda is never like a super challenging game. So when the challenge comes in the beat play, there's not too much you have to worry about if you know how to play Crypt of the Necrodancer. If that's really just a side note, I'm really not worried about the challenge of the game because I think it was more about like this really cool experience. All in all, 
Canes of Hyrule is 25 bucks on Switch. Crypt of the Necrodancer I got for 20 on Steam. Honestly, I would say wait for a sale if you're gonna want if you want to get a Canes of Hyrule. I don't think there's enough there to warrant the $25 purchase. Because I would put this game, Canes of Hyrule, as an experiment. It was an experiment of taking a ro- a really cool roguelike mechanic with music and following, you know, following the rhythm style combat and paired it with what is usually a long and epic story of adventure. It put the two of them together and tried to find a middle ground. You can clear a zone in Crypt of the Necrodancer in like 10-15 minutes, okay, if you just beeline it for the boss and not worry about any items. And on the flip side, Legend of Zelda, I mean, you can speedrun it, definitely. But in terms of like, I feel like a standard play of Legend of Zelda, it takes a couple hours. Cadence, like I said, Cadence of Hyrule took me somewhere between three and four hours to just beat. And that's exploring about half the map, getting a couple items, and then going and beating Ganon. Took three and a half hours, I want to say, give or take. So it's weird because it doesn't have the quick play with it, it can't have quick play roguelike elements like Cadence because it's the Legend of Zelda, but it can't have a very long and concrete narrative like Legend of Zelda because it's roguelike like Cadence. It takes two very opposing things in terms of game mechanics and narrative and tries to put them together. Which is why it's only an experiment, I feel. I think it was successful. Like, don't get me wrong. Since I've been talking about this game, I'm going to go... I'm going to pick up the controller and play it when I'm done and try and unlock everything on my current file. Because you actually... It's a file system. You have, like, three different save files. So I want to go back in and try and get everything and see what is it I missed. Like, what else is out there that I possibly missed that might change my opinion of the game. And if that happens, I will definitely post up a bonus episode explaining that. Okay? Again, this is... Everything I just said is my first take of the game, beating it without 100% completion. This is my take on the game. So I would wait for a sale because it's a little more experimental. Maybe if they did a narrative like they did Crypt of the Necrodance, like let's say you start the game as Cadence and you did some stuff as Cadence and then you moved on, you like unlocked Link. And then when you played Link, it was then modified. Like each character you got in Crypt of the Necrodancer that continued the story that was like Cadence's family line would continue the story, but modified how the game was played a bit and changed the cutscenes and the narrative because that character had some impact what was happening. Maybe if they did that instead. It was you played Cadence, then you played Link, then you played Zelda or something like that. And at the end, when you reached Ganon, all three of them came together to team up. That, I think, would work. That's actually what I thought first. When I first saw the trailer, I thought that's how it was, that you played each character separately through some narrative. I think it would have worked better i think if they did that the game would have definitely been stronger than it is currently it was just being trying to be too much of both at times it works very well but at other times it slips up it's very strong in just using combat based on rhythm on the overworld on exploring it does great with all three of those things it's amazing even the i'll put the items as a positive even though there's some issues i have with the items i'll put that as a positive okay on the bad side, it had some issues running a story in terms of Legend of Zelda. It had struggled with the narrative, and it struggled with the players, and the dungeons just were not what they should have been. 
They they really messed up on the dungeon, I feel. So there's my take on the game. Now, I'm I'm interested in going into review styles like this. Like episode 50 is coming up, and I've thought about it, and based on this, I might actually pick up a console that I haven't touched in a while, like the Genesis, the PlayStation 1, something like that, and do like a review based on the console and kind of where it goes. I know, you know, YouTube reviews are a big thing. A lot of them are comedy-based, which is why I love them. I love watching comedy-based reviews, but I really enjoyed my time doing this. So, hey, I know I got some people out there listening. Let me know what you think. And again, the Twitter thing is going to be starting up next week also, since it is episode 50. That will be starting up also, so we can get a lot of more conversations going on there. So I might start turn into like some review stuff, you know, at least once a month maybe, because this was really fun. I really enjoyed taking a look at this game and everything it had to offer, you know, to a first-time player. So there was my take. Take it or leave it. What do you think? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, yeah, so this was an in-depth look at the cadence of Hyrule. Again, good at parts. Good at parts. A good experiment. So plans for episode 50 are in place. I don't want to spoil anything. So for now, enjoy yourself. Hopefully you're not overheating in the heat. It's been all right here in New York City. So farewell for now. And I will see you all next week.